it was always like whenever I got hurt, it was always devastating for a second. And then it immediately motivated me to come back stronger, to rehab it, to not let that be the last, you know, not let that end the story. I'm always going to, I'm always going to come back from this. I'm going to end it on my terms, you know? Welcome to 90% Mental and the In and Out of the Pocket podcast series with all-pro quarterback Jake the Snake Plumber and mental performance coach Grant Parr, where the mental game is discussed and discovered by the best quarterbacks and offensive-minded professionals in the business. Overcoming adversity, celebrating mental wins, to actionable mental skill strategies and more. You'll learn how to mentally navigate in and out of the pocket. Today in the pocket, Jake and Grant sit down with former NFL tight end Nate Jackson to discuss what attributes make a great quarterback from a tight end's perspective. Nate and Jake reminisce on their days when they played for the Denver Broncos and how important it is to prepare and adapt in the face of adversity. ReadyList Sports is the future of sports playbooks with its digitized integration of multiple learning styles that helps coaches teach better and players learn more efficiently. Engineered by former professional quarterbacks, ReadyList Sports' revolutionary play drawing tool will save coaches countless hours creating plays. ReadyList Sports also provides the players accessibility to study their playbooks using the ReadyList Sports app for iOS and Android. It's like having the playbook in your pocket. The best part of ReadyLists are the auto-generated tests the players take after studying that help ensure retention of your plays. Now let's all huddle up and go visit ReadyListSports.com. Welcome back to the In and Out of the Pocket podcast with Jake the Snake Plumber and myself, Grant Parr. We are really excited to bring this show to you to talk about the mental game from a quarterback perspective, quarterback coaching perspective, OC, head coach perspective. But today, we're going to get out of the pocket a little bit and bring on somebody that's a little bit outside of playing the position of quarterback. So before we get into who that is, I want to bring on my my partner, Jake. How you doing, my man? I'm good, Grant. Uh, just enjoying, uh, you know, trying to make the most of the situation in the world is in right now. Uh, it's a good time to do podcasts and talk and have people come on and share their stories, like you said, of uh, the mental side of the game, and uh, you know, hopefully learn something from from these people. <laughs> Today. Uh, speaking of learning something, that short little pause there, you know, I got a guest on the show that, uh, he's been on my other podcasts I've had and been, uh, someone I love to talk to, uh, whenever, wherever, however, uh, because of the way he brings it with his thought process and, uh, outside of the box thinking he's definitely out of the pocket, even though he dream- had dreams of being in the pocket and being a quarterback, uh, he played wide receiver and a little bit of tight end and a little bit of wide receiver tight end and tried to act like he could throw the ball once in a while. And I played with him in, the, in Denver with the Broncos. But he's an author, a musician known as Jack Nasty, and he was a former football player in the league. Now he is busy writing and trying to do some big things. He also was my comrade when we uh, helped 
uh, educate and advocate for hemp oils, which are now the big craze. So he's someone who's a little unconventional, not afraid to answer any kinds of questions out of the pocket, but we're going to jump into the pocket with my man, Nathan Jack Nasty Jackson. How you doing? <laughs> Dude, what an intro. That was amazing, man. Uh, yeah, happy to be on the in and out of the pocket. <laughs> we're happy to have you, man. It's pretty awesome. You know, Grant and I started this to just bring a little love to the QB mindset. Uh, you know, what we go through as quarterbacks even as just athletes, coaches, that's a really important position. So we want to ask you some questions about that position from your perspective, because I loved reading your book, uh, you know, slow getting up because I was there through most of it, but that was your perspective. And I was living at that same time from a different perspective. So it was pretty crazy to read it. Um, how, how come writing, what was writing for you? Has it been in your life? forever or is it something you just started doing and realizing man this has really beneficial for me uh explain a little bit about how you became an author and published and had a great you know great selling book well i was never i was never like uh, a very good student as far as being dedicated to you know studying reading and writing i didn't read the books that were assigned to us typically i didn't write a lot when i was a kid but i was, I was most mostly an athlete but when i when i got older i realized i had a, a talent for writing and then when I went to college, um, I had a, I had a, um, a newspaper, there was a newspaper at our school called the Menlo Oak and I wrote a column for it and I was able to kind of freely express myself, my ideas. And I started to realize, well, I can actually, I can really write, I can express myself with words. And then that was coinciding with my career or my ambitions as a football player. So there I was, you know, making it to the NFL also having this budding writing, you know, voice in my head, but it wasn't until I was after I was done playing that I realized, okay, I have a story to tell having been in the NFL and had this unique, you know, experience like all of us did. And then I know how to tell it. So I started writing these freelance articles about life in the NFL from a wide receiver tight end perspective, kind of a, you know, every year I'm on the bubble trying to make the team the other side of the coin. I know you guys are quarterbacks, so you're not used to this, you know, it's like, Hey man, When's the photo shoot? You know, <laughs> like you want me to turn? You want me to turn to the left or the right? How should I stand? You know, that's you guys. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know we, we're running down covering kicks and playing punt return, and now I'm a tight end and I got a block and I'm doing nine on seven at practice and just stuff that I really wasn't prepared for, and so a lot of that made it into the book and it was. Uh, kind of a story about the everyman and it's just just a story that hasn't really been told because you know it's usually about that superstar quarterback narrative i mean you look at espn it's just quarterback 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 and it's a very important position as you guys know but there's other positions <laughs> that are also important so that's that was the perspective of the book and uh, and how i became a writer you, you know, Nate, you know, as, you know, being a wide receiver and also being a tight end, uh, you've been in a lot of different huddles with a lot of different quarterbacks. What stands out, what stands out to you the most that makes a quarterback great? So, yeah, in the huddle, I think there's a couple different things that a quarterback has to have to, to like inspire confidence in the players and get them excited, but also keep them calm. First of all, the quarterback has to know, know the plays. It sounds stupid, but he's got to be able to recite them in a way that he knows what he's talking about. 
you know, because you'll be in training camp sometimes and like a, a quarterback who's not seeing a lot of reps comes in and he's having trouble getting the call, even reciting it, like remembering what it is. And you pretty much know at that point, the play is, is fucked, you know? So you got another, you got another playbook. Well, and you got to be able to communicate it verbally well, like a smooth delivery of the play. But then there's also the kind of, you know, the stuff you say on the side and you only have a couple seconds to say it, but it's got to be something that lets the guys know, Hey, we got this. Let's go, you know, motivates guys, makes them passionate about what they're about to do or calms them down or, you know, talks them down after a bad play, little stuff like that. Both of those Jake was really good at, which made him such a good quarterback. But I know that uh, <laughs> he didn't like how verbose, some of our language was sometimes I remember we're in the huddle. He's like, Geez. he's like reciting a paragraph to get it out. <laughs> that was for all you dumbasses that I had to tell you everything to do. Man, I had to tell you where to line up, what the protection was, what the route was, what your route was, what you had when you were hot, and what I was going to check to if we got this look. I mean, right, Lord. Well, that begs the question. Like, so the guys who are running full speed, like those running backs, the tight ends, receivers. They, you can't process both angles of what we're talking about here. You can't remember everyone's little rules like you just said and also be sprinting down the field trying to, like, get open. Like, they're yeah. not, you can't do them both. It's really hard. Actually, tight ends come pretty close because we're probably going to get into the perspective of the tight end maybe, but the tight end is, like, the only other position other than the quarterback who has to know all the routes, all the run, all the run plays, all the pass protection, all the calls of the offensive line. You know, he, he the tight end knows a lot. It's a good point you bring up, Nate, because a lot of people take for granted the tight end. They think now, especially in today's game, that it's, you know, just a guy who can run down and make plays, catch the ball in the seam, and, you know, yeah. Kelsey and uh, Gronkowski, those kind of guys. But I've always felt that that position, the tight end position, is paramount with, like, a good center, obviously a quarterback. And if you've got a badass tight end – you got a chance with the ability that they know, you know, that they know their game and they can do both things. How hard was it uh, for you as a tight end? How hard was that to switch from receiver now putting your hand down or getting down there in the nitty gritty with all them fat backs? How'd that, how'd that treat you? And, and mentally, how did you um, study and get ready for that? Because back then they didn't have the ready list sports for players. So <laughs> yeah. Didn't use it. Yeah. I don't know how I did it, but, I, but the thing is like that, that, that transition was probably the hardest thing I ever, ever did playing football or, you know, it, making it to the NFL as a receiver was, I mean, incredibly difficult, but, but making that transition, putting on weight and having to block run block defensive ends and, and linebackers, it, it, it took an entire, you know, shift in consciousness as far as how you approach playing football and how you hit and how you block as a receiver, you're blocking in space. So you kind of stock block, you break down and you don't want them to go either way because they can go to the left. They can go to the right. They can slow play you. They can do anything, but down there on the line of scrimmage, your hand in, in the dirt, <laughs> the guy is two inches from your face. You have to fire out and attack him with really good leverage and good technique. And he, and that's, that'll give you a little bit of a chance to block him. And so, man, the first training camp when I became a tight end was really embarrassing. Like every day I was walking out on the field, like, <laughs> what am I doing? Like, I'll just step up there and just horrible technique, like just getting oh, yeah. thrown on my ass over and over. And, <laughs> and the worst part about it 
is then you have to go watch it on film afterwards with all your buddies. And everyone saw it on the field, but now we got to watch it on film again. And the coach who yelled at you on the field is going to just, you know, bring his voice down a little bit and talk shit to you again with, <laughs> you know, the video on the screen, slow motion. So it's pretty embarrassing, but that's a good motivating tool to improve because you don't want to see yourself there anymore, you know? So really the, the technique of a tight end is about staying low. It's about attacking. It's about position with your hands and, and moving your feet all the time. You don't stay stagnant with your feet. Your feet are always moving. <clears throat> but once I was able to get that down, like Jake is saying, you know, the, a, t- a tight end who can do both blocks and, and is a, a pass threat is like, you know, really, really good for an offense. Big time. And, and Nate, I, I want to tap in a little bit about the emotion that you felt from going to wide receiver to tight end, because I know that you spent your whole career, you know, being a, an incredible wide receiver. And I'm only bringing this up because when I used to coach football at Sarah High School in San Mateo. Um, oh, Sarah. Yeah. I Tom, had, Tom Brady's alma mater. There it is. Big time. And, and, hey, and how about this name? I don't know if you know him, but Giovanni Takagino. Yes. <laughs> did you play with Gio? No, I didn't. <laughs> but, oh, okay. but, but I've so heard I of played it. with Gio and Menlo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. He was Brady's like number one guy. So. That's awesome. I was there. Uh, yeah. I was there probably three, four years ago, and I coached there for three years. So, oh, um, cool. yeah, on. man, incredible place. But the defensive coordinator said something to a to a defensive back who was. The way that he thought himself was just a cornerback. I'm a cornerback. But we were going to have him as more of a bandit, kind of this quasi-outside linebacker position. And I remember in front of the whole defensive unit, when Coach asked him to play that position, he was like, I don't play that. I'm a cornerback. So mm-hmm. Coach was like, listen, if you're going to be in this program or anybody other, you know, any other program that's at the, the collegiate level – they're not going they didn't give a shit about if you're a cornerback, free safety quarterback. They want a football player. And mm. so it opened up my mind going because I was a quarterback my whole life. And there's been times where I've been asked to, you know, play tight end or wide receiver. And I'm like, uh-uh, I'm a quarterback. I'm a quarterback. Cause I, I didn't want to let go of that identity. So when you moved yeah. from wide receiver to tight end, was there like an emotional shift that you had to deal with? Yeah, hundred percent. So I was, <clears throat> I was not recruited at all coming out of high school. And then I walked on to Cal Poly, which is a one double A school um, in California. And I got cut and I just didn't even get any looks during uh, spring practice. I was just basically standing there. This guy had knew exactly who he wanted on the team and like walk-ons notoriously never made the team at this school. But anyway, at the very end of that, he sw- uh, they tried to switch me to tight end. At this time, I was 200 pounds, and I was 6'3", probably. 6'2 and a half, 6'3", 200 pounds. But I just didn't get any run at the end of the um, at the end of camp. They, put, they moved me to tight end. Anyway, I ended up getting cut, and I went and talked to the coach, and he said, look, you're too slow to play receiver. You're too small to play tight end. We don't have any room for you on this team. So that was, I was 19 years old at that time. So I transferred to uh, a small school, Division three school called Menlo as a receiver. I, I knew I was a receiver. I, I believed that I was a receiver. That's what I wanted to play was wide receiver. And I went to Menlo, this D3 school. I played three years there as a wide receiver and did really well there as a wide receiver. That was all I did there. I didn't play special teams. Um, I actually did kick a little bit because our kicker was horrible. Was <laughs> the one year I had to do a lot of kicking. But uh, that's D3 ball for you. You know, you, you think you have a kicker and a guy shows up and he's just like smoking a cigarette. And, like, and, you know, 
the more you can do, man, the more you can do. No, exactly. But then like, so I was a receiver, receiver, and then I made it to the league as a receiver. But immediately when I got to the NFL, I mean, I made it the practice squad, but that that's because I was playing special teams. You know, that's because I was able to practice every day and give looks all across the board, whatever the defense needed to see. I was going to read that, um, that piece of paper and run the play they wanted me to run. And so I could be any color dot on that page, you know? And, and then a couple of years later when he, he called me and asked me if I would move to tight end, I knew that was a way for me to stick around longer. Like you said, and play more. I think probably if I would have said, no coach, I think I'm going to stay a wide receiver. He would have been like, all right. And then <laughs> next training camp, I probably would have been cut, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the type of thing where, yeah, coaches need to find guys who can do a lot of things. And like when I moved to tight end, that was one more thing I could do for the team. That's then I started playing even more special teams and different special teams positions than I had been as a receiver. So I've got to move in, in a little bit, you know, with the bigger guys, because I was now, now 15, 20 pounds heavier myself. So uh, adapting to that was like a struggle. It was really mentally challenging and physically challenging, but once I was able to do it, I instilled a lot of confidence with the coaches and they're like, all right, this is a guy who can do a lot of things for us. we got to keep him around. So Nate, you, I, I remember back to that time, man, and, you know, I hate to laugh, but you did get your ass kicked quite a bit uh, <laughs> when you got down there tied in and, oh man, you know, <laughs> you were like a monkey trying to hang on to a freaking <laughs> elephant trying to block those guys a few times, but you know, you, you, you fought your ass off, you know, and that's really, like you said, back to when a coach asks you to do something and you do it, it not only endears you to that coach, but you know, it obviously takes quite a bit of confidence. Um, where did you get that confidence? I remember you sharing a story of about Bill Walsh, uh, you know, back earlier in your career when you were at Menlo. And like, can you share a couple moments where you just maybe you were down or, you know, you didn't quite know if you could do some things and who you who you, you know, experiences that you you hearken back to to help you get through those moments with confidence in yourself, knowing you could do whatever you put your mind to. Yeah. Um, so I always as a, as a little kid athlete, I was always very confident athlete I was like pretty muscular as a kid and I was pretty fast and I liked to rough house and stuff so the sports that I played I, I enjoyed them I thought I was going to win you know and it was just fun and I, I was a swimmer when I was started swimming when I was five years old and I was a fast swimmer so I think a lot of the confidence I have athletically came in the swimming pool actually just because I was I was beating everybody and I was setting records for a cabana club and I, I just gave me a lot of confidence up there on the block standing there and and diving in and sprinting and beating other little kids so um I didn't play football until I got to high school actually my parents wouldn't let me which devastated me at the time but in hindsight it was probably the best decision you know on their part and um but um I wouldn't, I wasn't allowed to play. So I played soccer and I was a swimmer and I of course played football in the yard and, uh, and basketball and stuff like that. I played. You served some time. You served some time. You said you played football in the yard. In the yard. Yeah, man. I went to juvie. Uh, That's why I couldn't play football. Uh, No, in the yard, on the yard. Um, In the backyard. Yeah, in the backyard. Or out front, in the front yard, either yard. Uh, But, um, yeah, the, when I got to high school, that's when I started playing football, and it was a very slow learning process to learn football because football is when you first put on a helmet and pads, it's very shocking. It's not what you thought it was going to be. You know, you didn't like when you watch football on TV, you fall in love with it as a kid. You play out in the street, even playing tackle at the park. 
doesn't prepare you for putting on a helmet and shoulder pads and running full speed into one another, which is really what JV football in high school is. You know, <laughs> it's like, let's see who can handle this. Yeah. Go, go for it. You know? <laughs> ah, all right. Not him. Pull him out. Uh, you know, and then these like studs emerge as hitters and they become coaches favorite. And those are the guys who are destined to be football stars. Right. But the high school is like the filtering system where we find the guys who really shouldn't be out there. But, um, so I fell in love with football when I put on the helmet and the pads, but I didn't really excel as a tackle football player until, uh, varsity when I really settled in as a receiver, I actually was a quarterback my sophomore year. And I backed mm. up my yeah, I backed up my buddy all year long, and and I got one start that year as against the league champions right in the middle of the season because our, our quarterback uh, had an accident making Halloween props and sliced his hand so he couldn't play, and uh, so I suited up, took the field, threw three picks, and we lost thirty five nothing. So that was my only foray as a quarterback. Didn't go well, but um, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> good effort man good job yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway but anyway the confidence of the football player came along slowly but my my varsity coach believed in me as a as a budding receiver and started to give me the rock you know he was a running a running coach we ran the wing tee which means one receiver on the field <laughs> i love <laughs> that's it that's not exactly a receiver's dream <laughs> yeah it's not a receiver's dream no. right <laughs> so my, so, and, and our coach is notoriously this running hard-nosed coach he's a former cop uh, believed in his guys, demanded a lot of them. And if we were going to throw the ball, it better be good. It better be precise and it better be complete. And so he started throwing me the ball more, you know, and that's the kind of thing that gave me confidence as a, as a receiver in high school. Um, like I told you guys, I got cut in college. So that of course was a blow to my ego and a blow to my confidence, but I still loved football and wanted to play. So I transferred to this small school this deep three school, like I said, and I started playing well there, which built up my confidence again. And then, like you said, Bill Walsh was, uh, he was, he came to our games, our home games, because we lived in the area. A lot of former NFL players and coaches lived in that area. It was, we had a bunch of former NFL coaches or players as our coaches, Keith Millard, Doug Cosby, Guy McIntyre, Tom Rath, who there the year before I got, got there. Uh, you know about the Bay Area, so um, all those guys are up there. And Bill Walsh used to come to our games, and I had a couple big games in front of him. And uh, Coach Cosby, after the game, said one of the games said, "Hey, Bill wants to talk to you." And I was like, "Oh shit!" Because I was a 49er fan my whole life. He was a hero of mine. So there I'm jogging over to the legend, you know, and he's like, "Just you know, I don't know what he said. I don't remember what he said." good job. You know, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. You can play at the next level, that kind of stuff. And, and it was just a couple words from this guy after having been, you know, cut at a one double a school. And there's a lot of naysayers out there and you're going to need that people who doubt you to make it where you want to go. You need that as fuel, but you also need the people giving you those words of encouragement. So I hold on to those words from Bill Walsh and those of my coach in high school and those moments growing up when you know i won races or i was successful to give me the confidence i needed you know nate you bring up when you bring up wing t man that uh i spent 85 percent of my career in the wing t <laughs> no way uh, oh yeah and uh and no i'm wondering you're like familiar with the mantles 
<laughs> right. Especially running yeah. a lot of option, just uh, sacrificing my yeah. body. Um, Dude, totally. But, you know, especially with tight ends, man, I, I love throwing at tight ends, man. It was, <laughs> man, if you're good at, if you're good at um, selling your fakes and, and seeing everything out, man, you could totally utilize your tight ends. So love, yeah. I love the, uh, the offense for that, but, but I want to, I want to kind of piggyback on what Jake was talking about, about, going from this transition to Menlo to the NFL. Now, when you think about it, I mean, you played division three football, you broke all these records, you earned all American accolades, offensive player of the year. You know, they would say that you're the like big fish in a small pond. So when you make that transition from D three to the NFL, like how did you mentally prepare yourself to adjust to the to that level? Well, there was a couple, a couple of moments along the way that gave me like the confidence to know I belonged with those guys who were about to be in that world. As I was at Menlo College, coming out, getting ready for the draft, so they do their the combine, which I wasn't invited to, but I went to a, a, an All Star game called the East West Shrine Game in oh, yeah. San Francisco, which which so there was a lot of guys who were draft prospects and guys who were trying to make it into the league, and I saw there that uh, I belonged with those guys. I didn't feel overwhelmed by being around them and practicing against them. I actually had a hamstring injury that week in practice, so I didn't get to play in the game, uh, which devastated me at the time. I thought, this is my one chance to show the scouts what I can do, and it's just slipped away. It's pretty brutal. But actually, Bill Walsh, that week, he was like, hey, Nate, you know, because he was affiliated with the game, he said, Nate, you'll have your chance. Just get that thing right, and you'll get into a camp. So that was another moment with Bill that was really helpful. Um, but um, but that I, I went home and I rehabbed the hamstring and I started getting going to the workouts and I went to a San Jose State Pro, pro Day because Menlo didn't have its Pro Day. So there was other prospects there who, you know, I looked at and I sized myself up, up against them. I thought I can, I can do that. I'm as good as they are. And then the Niners had like a local um, – workout where they invited local prospects from Cal, Stanford, San Jose State, Fresno State, Sacramento State, stuff like that. And then I got the invite from Menlo. And so I went to that and there's probably 30, 40 guys. The Niners coaching staff was there and they broke us up into position groups with their position coaches and they ran us through some drills and just like got us familiar with that. And during that, I was, I felt in that receiver group, I was like, thought I had the best day. And George Stewart, who was a receiver coach with the Niners at the time, Stu, he's still coaching in the NFL, which is amazing. Uh, he pulled me aside. I was nearly hyperventilating. I was like diving for balls, dude. Like we had no no helmets on, nothing. And I was just like sprinting and just diving, dude. And just at uh, balls I obviously wasn't going to get, you know. But I had a pretty good day. And afterwards, he pulled me aside. He's like, hey, you're going to do this, Nate. Like, you got this. You, you, and I was like, yes, dude. So, so when I, when I did get signed, I got signed to the Niners and and then that first day of practice, man, you go out and you see what it's like. It's still football. These are still guys. They're still human beings who have, you know, weaknesses. They make mistakes. The starting corner for the Niners at the time, Jake probably knows because he played against them a lot with Arizona was Ahmed Plummer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, um, I had been watching him on TV because I was a Niner fan and uh, all of a sudden here I am lining up against him. And I beat him, dude. I beat him. He tried to jam me on the line. I got off his jam and beat him deep. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's do this, man. <laughs> and uh, at that point, it was like, it's it's kind of incremental. You know, you have these moments where you realize, okay, I belong. 
and and you don't you don't look at these people in awe. You just look at at them as peers and as your competition. Hey, uh, I want to take it back to what you said earlier, Nate. I mean, now you've made it to the NFL. You're you're you know you can do it. You're you're part of the. You got a chance now. You're in the league. You got to make do with what you got and try your best. Now, when you were on the bubble, like you said, you know, your book, uh, the sloganing up, uh, it was written not by the firsthand account of the star quarterback, but you being on the bubble, kind of practice squad up and down. Maybe you're active for the game. You're not. Mentally, that had to have been just hard as hell to practice all week, get treatment, do everything, study. And then before the game, I can remember a few times where I would see you out there warming up and all of a sudden you're in your sweat. But my mind was so focused on the game that I didn't even think like, damn, sorry, Nate, man, that sucks. Cause I would, I wanted you out there with me. How did yeah. you manage that process mentally? And how did you stay positive through that? Because that, that would have been crushing. Yeah. That was a tough year for me. That was my first year as a tight end. So it was my third year in yeah. the NFL. And, uh, and I had just put on a bunch of weight Actually, the end of the previous year, um, I was a receiver, and we were playing in San Diego, Jake. I don't know if you remember, but I broke my ankle, and it was a, it was a play you were scrambling. You kind of passed it to me yeah. in the end zone, uh, and I, it, I just got tangled up with a dude. And oh, it's right close. I was hoping to get you your first TD, man. Oh, man, God I know. We needed that one. And I was yeah. on the field. I was like, dude, I'm on the field in red zone right now. Let's do this. And I'm like, I was like the fourth option. I was like scraping her along the back of the end zone. He kind of saw me. You were in trouble, and you just let it go. And I was like, "Holy shit, it's coming to me!" But the guy kind of met it there at the same time. He fell on my leg a little weird, and I felt wow. the click. Um, and I had broken my tibia. So I remember that. Yeah. So that ended my last year as a receiver. I was like week twelve or thirteen or something. And then that off season is when uh, coach called me and asked me to move to tight end. So I'm recovering from that and I'm putting on a bunch of weight at the same time. And um, I came into training camp. Like I had a really good mini camp uh, set. You know, we had like three or four mini camps. I did really well then, but we got into training camp and my body just did not like being 245 pounds mm. and trying to like go to training camp and all this stuff started bothering me. And then I hurt my hamstring and it nagged me and it ended up being a thing that nagged me all year long. Um, aside from that, you know, everyone has nagging injuries they play with all year, but like, so 53 guys on the roster, 45 suit up for every game. So you got eight guys who conceivably, if they're healthy, you know, are practicing, like Jake was saying, practicing all week and hoping, you know, hoping to play. And then the day of the game is when they tell the guys who's down and it's always, you know, there's a chance that this guy, they might shuffle it around. You might be playing. Sometimes I knew going in that I was down and, uh, did they no, have actually, the same guy come through and tell you every week? Was it the same yeah, coach? Same still, yeah, true love. So you dreaded when he walked by your locker. And yeah, <laughs> well, I'd walk in to the locker, and when I'd look my eyes, I'd be looking for him right away. Because they're, they're looking for you, you're looking for them. You know what I mean? And this, like when you see that guy walking around the locker room, guys in, in that position, you never even think about what that guy's doing just walking around the locker room. But he's looking for those guys to tell him you're down. Um, and a lot of times I knew that was going to happen. Sometimes I was caught by surprise. And sometimes like I thought I was going to hook up one time. I thought I was going to be down. And so I, you know, my pregame ritual was that of someone who thought he was going to be down. 
And then uh, they, they told me, no, nah, dude, look, Lou hurt his hamstring in, in uh, warm-ups. You're up, dude. Let's get All ready right. to go. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> Came on the last bus. I just ate a couple donuts. I might have watched a, <laughs> uh, a naughty film in my room. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know where we were going with that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> just get just dealing with it, man. It had to have sucked and just oh, yeah, stay yeah. positive through it. Yeah, so. exactly. So, so they would, um, so they tell you you're down, and and yeah, man, it was like the type of thing where I knew I knew that I was a novice at being a tight end. I knew I had a lot to learn. I knew that I probably wasn't ready to actually be the one out there on game day, like you know, <laughs> running down the field and blocking and doing all that stuff. And so that year I kind of took it as a learning experience and um, paid my lumps and, uh, and felt like, okay, next year I, I know the position. Now I'm healthy. Let's go. It was always like, whenever I got hurt, it was always devastating for a second. And then it immediately motivated me to come back stronger, to rehab it, to not let that be the last, you know, not let that end the story. I'm yeah. always going to, I'm always going to come back from this. I'm going to end it on my terms, you know, <laughs> like victorious arms raised in the end zone. As the clock goes down the Super Bowl, man, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what we're all trying to get to, right? Yeah. <laughs> so anything less than that is like a failure. Mm. You know, yeah. it's funny you bring that up because when I left the game of football, it wasn't on my terms. It was on my body's terms. It was actually, and I, and it screwed with me for a couple of decades. Um, I'm good now, but I've had two hip replacements on the same hip due yeah. to my career Indian injury. And so I had a hard time letting go of my frustration because I didn't get to choose. Yeah. I didn't have that moment you're talking about of, you know, gracefully, you know, letting this awesome experience go. I was pissed off because I, I couldn't. Yeah. So, yeah. I can only imagine a lot of athletes that, that have gone through what I've gone through, but you know, with a different well, yeah, dynamic. Yours is probably, I think your experience is the more common one, mm -hmm. you know, the frustration, the, it not ending on your terms, ending with an injury when you started to get some momentum. That's the thing about football, man. It's like football is a conspiracy against your body. <laughs> at some point it's going to catch it. Yep. And there's like, you're racing against it to get all the knowledge you can about the game and all the understandings of the idiosyncrasies of movement and space and how to do all that stuff. And like the guys who play the longest, know it the best but their bodies can't do it like the 25 year olds or 22 year olds you know so totally it's a, like guys who can keep their bodies like healthy somehow in their 30s which i don't know how you do it you know when you play that game but the guys who can they have an advantage mentally over the guys who are young you want you want to know what some shit is i had to pay the nfl to leave me the leave me alone they didn't they wouldn't let me go when I was ready to retire. I had to give right. money back for them to stop messing with me. But wow. sometimes, yeah, you know, so, you don't you don't leave with that trophy in your hand. Right. But you, Jake, had probably as close as you can to walking off on your own terms, you know? Yes. Like yeah. You decided you didn't want any more when you probably had. You could have kept going if you wanted to. And, yeah. uh, like, I, I got pretty much dragged off the field, you know, and like, like pretty much everybody else. Hey. I've had enough in the pocket talk. We need some out of the pocket as we're going a little over time, but you know what? It doesn't matter. Out of the pocket coming from me right now. You can make these as quick as you quick as you can or whatever. Cool. Uh, I want I want to know what what's more nerve wracking. Um, I'm going to throw out three scenarios and tell me which one was more of a challenge and kind of like nerve wracking at times and like 
full of a little more anxiety. Playing in an NFL game versus the mic in your hand with nasty breeze when you were performing in my basement for Halloween, <laughs> or writing writing a book. Well, they're all they're, they're all very different. I'd say if I'm going to rank them in order of most important moments of my life, playing in your basement number one for sure. Yeah, uh, talking the mic. Difference. It's weird. I don't know. Where you been? Oh, there you go. Not my baby. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but, uh, there you go. <laughs> no, but playing music is very different from uh, sports because music, you're like actually interacting with the audience. You're looking at them. They're looking at you. It's like a lot more intimate. Whereas football, you just go out there. You're in your bubble. You got your cage around. You're just like, Rah! you know, you don't really notice the fans until you come up the, to the sidelines and stuff. So, um I don't know. I, th- I think music's a little more nerve wracking. Football, you're it's nervous right at the beginning. Then you get out there and you're fine. Actually, music's the same way, dude. But um, the writing of a book wasn't like it was anxiety for like you know a year or two until the book came out. It wasn't like a mo- there wasn't a moment where it was like, oh my god, this is gonna be awesome. It was more like this building thing where you're working alone on this one thing for so long, and finally it comes out, and you hope it does well. Um, so I'd say your basement, definitely the most. Yes. <laughs> Grant, I have one more, but do you have any out of the pocket questions for I do me? actually. I got a couple of them here. Um Sweet. So out of all the routes when you were a wide receiver, out of all the routes that you had to run, what was the one that you hated running the most? And mm. did it really piss you off when that when a quarterback threw behind you and, and laid you out? <laughs> good questions man good questions um you know i think like a shallow cross is a lot more work than it's worth you know, a lot of times for for especially a bigger a receiver <laughs> to come down and motion go all the way across and you're really not getting the ball on that play and if you do you might get lit up which is okay um but a shallow cross probably my least favorite i like to be out wide working the, at the edges there and you go and come back and stuff like that um, deep middle of the field, that's great too. But like, I guess the crossing stuff is like, uh, you know, I could do without if I had to do without one. And that leads to the next one, laying, getting laid out. You know, I never actually cared if I if I get destroyed. I always told my quarterback that I was like, dude, I don't care if I get blown up. If you throw me the ball, I'm 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 happy. That's all I care about. You threw it to me. That's fine with me. Dude. I may end up in the hospital. I'm like, thanks for that throw, man. That was fucking awesome. Awesome. Hey, dude! If you throw me the ball, man, I'm fucking in it. You let me out. <laughs> hey, who? If you got, okay, you got the ball in the twenty, a minute twenty-seven, no timeouts. You're down six. Who do you want to see trot out there and get in the huddle and say, "All right, motherfuckers, let's go." <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, Jake Plummer, number one, of course. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, Brett Favre, Peyton Manning. Um, yeah. Thanks for that little boost there, Nate. I'm here enough. Clearly, no, dude. That's that's that's, that's a fact. That's my one, two, three right there. <laughs> oh wow. Uh, I got I got my last question, Grant. I don't know if you have another one, but the last one I have is. You were told, and uh, you could probably, I'd say, bring your wife and, and, and new baby boy with you. You are now stuck on an island for the rest of your life. And you get to bring one musical group or, or musician's whole collection with you. Who's that going to be? 
<laughs> I mean, it's probably going to be Eminem, I would say, just because of the breadth of his musical collection, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, discography, if you will. And um, the fact that he really spoke to me as an artist for a long, long, long time. He's like, uh, linguistically, you know, there's so much he's coming at you. There's so much it will keep you busy for eternity as you listen to yeah. one album on a desert island, which actually is, I think about it, kind of torture. Like, I'm going to torture you. I'm going to put you in an island with one album forever. Right? <laughs> well, you kill me. One album would I'm suck, but you get to have you get the whole discography. Oh, no, like, the, yeah, you get all of them. Yeah, yeah my, bad, so, my, bad, my bad. Not just yeah. one. one so, yeah. while you're yeah. bumping him and in, what food would you be okay with? Is there a food that you could eat every day? <sighs> Big fan of, of tacos. Ah, Tito's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing better than a Tito's taco is to. <laughs> 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 I love it. I love it. I, I got a couple questions here. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, you weren't joking, Jake. I love it. Um, when who was your? I have a couple questions after this, but uh, who was your favorite NFL coach? Well, my favorite coach was Coach Shanahan as a head coach. Um, I had probably three. I didn't really have a lot. I had. Well, I had Steve Mariucci for as I tried to make the Niners team. He was a good guy. I really liked him, but I wasn't with him for a regular season, so I didn't really get to know him like Shannon. Then I was with Steve Erickson for a minute as I tried to make the Niners again the next year because Mariucci got fired and the Niners signed me back. Mm. Um, Erickson would probably rank near the bottom of my NFL coaches. He just didn't say anything. He was just like, he seemed like just a dude who was just grumpy at work every day. I'm like, okay, <laughs> go get him, coach. But, um, and then Mangini for a week in Cleveland, who also wasn't my favorite. So Shani, definitely um, my favorite head coach. But uh, I had a lot of position coaches and special teams coaches who I really like. And I think my spe- uh, favorite position coach was uh, affection- affectionately known as Blade. And uh, <laughs> Jake knows yeah. about Blade. Right yeah. Oh, good old Steve Watson, man. Steve Watson. Yeah, former receiver for the Broncos and uh, went by Blade. He's a really nice guy. Good coach. Awesome. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle out uh, some quick quick questions here, and they're music questions. I don't think Jake knows this about me either. I, I play guitar, bass, and piano, oh, and all. Shit. Yeah. So, so, okay. but I'm gonna hit you with with some some kind of maybe some weird stuff here. Um, okay. Okay. Boy George or Rod Stewart. <laughs> Rod Stewart. Whitney Houston or Janet Jackson? Janet Jackson. Michael Jackson or Justin Timberlake? Michael Jackson. All day, dude. Michael uh, Jackson versus anything else you say the rest of your life. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's Night- only a matter of time before we find out that Justin Timberlake is doing the same shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The white version. And Michael Jackson makes way better. In fact, maybe Michael Jackson may be still alive and he's Justin Timberlake. As well. No way, dude. Justin Timberlake's music is not that good, dude. Compared to, no. Yeah. No way. He does not have an injury. My bad. That was like a total interception out of the pocket. I just threw a shitty ball through into three people with that last comment. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Page or Joe Satriani? Uh, Jimmy Page. Yep. Nike or Adidas? <laughs> Ooh, Nike. Nike. Got it. Got it. That's all I got. 
by the way, my Australian cousin, uh, he works in like the sports industry or whatever, and he called it, uh, he calls Adidas Adidas. Mm-hmm. Adidas. Yeah. 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 And, and Nike, and Nike Nike. Wow. He's, all, he's all Nike and Adidas. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, well, we're going to be adios on this podcast <laughs> right now. Uh, we got to go. Nate, it's been a pleasure, as it always is, man. You always bring it real and fresh. Thanks for coming on the in and out of the pocket with me and my man, Grandpa. And we'll uh, probably be reaching out down the road to have you on again in case whenever there's some really important stuff to talk about. Anytime, guys. Pleasure was mine. All right. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it.